Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, church family. Good to see you today. Thank you, Wes and worship team, and Good just to enter the presence of our Lord, isn't it? And humbling, that was thinking about the text, Revelation 3.20, where Jesus says, I'm standing at the door of your heart, I'm knocking, and if you open, I will come in. And just the picture of his desire, it's a picture of intimacy and sharing a meal together um, that he paints there. And what a gift just to, to know him, um, to know he's with us in these moments, and to worship him, and and now to open up his word and, and seek to follow him with everything we've got. So good to, good to have you here. If you're, um, and happy fall break to everybody. I know even if you're not in school, feel free to take a break this week, right? Pause and uh, enjoy the beauty of God's creation outside. We, uh, and I know many of us are away. And so if you're joining us online, just a special welcome to you and so glad you're with us. We miss you. Hurry back, but hope uh, you just have a wonderful time away. But uh, excited for where God's going to lead us today. As Wes mentioned, the chase is on. We're, if you're just joining us, we're in week number five. Hard to believe it's already five, but of six is the, uh, well, of six, next week will be our final message in this series. But the series is Chasing Humility, and that's our theme for this coming year. The uh, week one, just a quick review we were pacing with Peter, and remember that just the calling there in First Peter chapter five, verse five, where he says, "All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time." And so we took a look there. What is humility? And you know that. Humility is one of those virtues that's easier to see in people than the, the definition is a little fuzzy, but it's really that posture of soul where we accurately see ourselves in light of who God is and who he created us to be. I love that one, one author, um, Andrew Murray, said, humility is the dethronement of self and the, by the enthronement of God. So where self is on the throne and seeking to run the show, it, it's pulling self off the throne as we um, say, God, you are king of my life, and surrendering and following him. Someone has said, humility is the virtue from which all other virtues grow, and you can see that. I just cannot emphasize enough that I don't think we can overemphasize the importance of humility being a, a pursuit and a focus and a, a prayer. Lord, would you help create this in our hearts as we follow you? So our theme this year is chasing humility. We're following our Lord in this. Week number two, we looked at uh, just that picture of humble service as we follow Christ and his calling in that, Matthew chapter 20. And remember where his disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus says, hey, hey, this is not the, the path to greatness looks different for the follower of Christ than for the world. And he describes humbly serving and, and then the uh, verse where he says, um, they're in Matthew chapter 20, I think we have it on the, the slide, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, and he called us into that. And then the next week, our focus was connecting with humility, 
that whole idea of as we do life together in relationship, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, we saw we're to put on the mindset of Christ. And do you remember the three phrases that we used? The first was, uh, I'm not here to compete with you. I'm here to serve you and then as Christ, even to death or even with my last breath to to, uh, to serve you. And then last week, it was so good to have Kent Craig with us. And our overarching picture was evan- the reach um, of our, our calling, which is really to respond to God's call, the Great Commission, to take the gospel and compassionately share that with people who don't know about Christ. And humbling ourselves to, to be a part of this and do whatever it is God calls us to do in that mission and it was so neat to hear Kent paint that picture of the open initiative. And if you missed out on that, we've got brochures in the back that can uh, fill, fill you in more on the details. But basically, over the next seven years, our prayer is that we would be a part of taking the gospel to seven unreached people groups in the world. So um, exciting to think about what God's going to do through our efforts and through our prayers. So today, though, is about growth. And uh, you know what, I'm going to be distracted all day if I don't just get a couple things off my chest. One, Trevor is here and after surgery, and man, um, so thankful to see you and God brought you through. Can we just thank the Lord for, for him? He's had surgery to correct uh, his foot, but it's the first of four surgeries that he'll go through. And Tim Howard was the surgeon in that, and he's just, guys have been on my heart, mind, and I see you, and I had to say something. And two, we have a new family about to be birthed, right? Um, Leo and Angel were engaged yesterday, so they're sitting here, and I, we just have to praise the Lord for that. <laughs> All right, thank you guys. Sorry, my mind was just going to be distracted the whole hour if I didn't get that off, so, but, um, but today we're, we're on grow, and so here's the, the question. How do we actually grow in this virtue of humility? Well, we know first it's nothing that we can do ourselves. It's not like we can, all right, I'm going to go do this. And the only way growth in this realm happens is through faith in Jesus Christ and then God doing his work in us. So it's a divine work that that must happen. But God does call us to be active in the work. So one of the prayers we're asking, we'd like to pray all year long is this, God, what, what do you want me to do to cooperate with you in the cultivation of humility in my heart? And what that looks like is primarily going to, the, as we get into God's word, he, he will give us action steps to cooperate with him as he seeks to develop a humble heart in us. And so I call these humility habits, you know, and throughout the year I thought it'd be neat if, okay, what if every week God gave us a humility habit to put into practice that would help in the formation of the humility of Christ in our own hearts. And wouldn't it be neat to share that with each other? Like, what's the, the humility habit that God's given you? One quick example, growing older is a humility habit. Is it? Can I get an amen from somebody? <laughs> you know, I mean, growing up is not easy. It's this humility when, you know, sometimes adults look at you and treat you in ways that like, oh, that disrespectful or whatever. But growing older can be the same as things fall apart and ultimately, but what a gift from God. So things like that, humility habits, and we'd like to be collecting those this year and, and uh, really making the most of those for, uh, to, to help the formation of, of humility in us. So today, I'd like to give you the first of many of our humility habits 
through the Word of God. And it is a, it, I'll give you the habit and then a, a story to illustrate the importance of, of putting these on. So the habit, or actually, I'm going to, I'll share the story around habits first, and then we'll, I'll share the, the habit with you. The story comes out of the cycling world, and it was about Great Britain's cycling team. And Doug and Linda, I don't know if you guys tracked with this at all, our, our um, resident cyclists, but they were horrible for like 100 years, Great Britain's team. So bad that one of the top uh, bike shops in Europe refused to sell them bike, bikes or bike parts because they didn't want their name associated with Great Britain's. <laughs> 100 years of just embarrassing mediocrity until 2003. When they hired a, uh, a guy named uh, David Brailsford, and he was their performance director, he said, well, what made him different? He had this philosophy. He, he called it the aggregation of marginal gains, which was to sum it up, tiny improvements over time put together leads to a major impact. And so he called them 1% gains. And so the passion was, okay, guys, it's not going to be one big major change that we make in our bike uh, performance pursuits. It's going to be a bunch of little things that we practice over time, these, these little habits. And so they began, they started with the seat. So what can we do this, with the seat to make it more comfortable and um, develop better performance? They went the, uh, tire traction on the road. They rubbed ru- alcohol on the tires to improve their traction. They tested the fabrics of the riders in wind tunnels. They put on heated shorts that would keep the muscles at optimum uh, performance temperature, and they measured them with biofeedback mechanisms. They uh, tried different types of, of uh, massage gels that led to the fastest recovery. They tested the pillows and the mattresses of each and the sleep of each rider and because recovery is crucial and sleep is crucial, and so they wanted um, those factors taken care of. They hired a surgeon to teach the riders how to wash their hands to cut down on the chance of, of getting a cold. They uh, even painted the inside of their trucks where they carried these bikes white so that they could detect any dust that would get into a part of the bike which would cause it not to operate at at peak performance. 1% changes, hundreds of them over time led to a cycling dynasty. Over the next 10 years, 2007 to 2017, 178 world championships Olympic gold medals, and five Tour de France's. So here's the question. Bike racing is one thing, but what about our pursuit of becoming like Christ, growing in humility? What would it look like if you added, if I added a humility habit week after week, 1% changes, little changes that over time, through a lifetime, would make a great difference in helping us live a life that's glorifying to God and good in, in terms of, or increases our capacity to serve the people around us. And so that's the, the picture, all right? And today we're going to go after the first humility habit, and I will, uh, I'll share it, and then, and then we'll go to the scripture and, and break it down. So here it is, humility habit of the day, pace with JB, pace with JB, pace with JB. Say, well, who is JB? Does anybody know? I know that uh, we have, if you've been around church for a while, Jordan Basor immediately jumps to my mind. His name is JB. Any other JBs? I have a golfing buddy who's JB. I was thinking about him this week. Pace with JB. Who, who is JB? Anybody want to shoot out a guess? 
It's John the Baptist. And so we're going to pace with John the Baptist. JB is what we'll call him to stick, stick it in our minds. And it's John chapter 3. So if you would join me in John chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 22. The uh, starts out, it says, after this, quick context, John 3 is where John is descri- the disciple John describing the life of Jesus, and he's just told us about Nicodemus and Jesus having that conversation, and Jesus telling him, hey, you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, and, and how's that happen? And John sums it up where he says, all right, for John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life, shows us the path to, to being born again through Christ. But it's after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the, the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Verse 23, now John, John the Baptist, was also baptizing at Aenon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put into prison. Verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over matters of ceremonial washing. So here comes the tension in the text. And So you have John's disciples, the certain Jew. We don't know who this Jew is. Some think it may have been one of Jesus' disciples. We know that John probably held pretty strictly to the traditions of the law. Jesus, we know, sometimes, um, you know, around those traditions was a little more lax. And, and so perhaps there's a, you know some conflict going there. We're not sure, but, but verse 26, it says, they, John's disciples, they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, pausing right here, when somebody calls you Rabbi in this culture, that was a huge word of respect. It's like teacher. Um, the esteem that was coming towards John there was, was great. Great respect. It's like master, lord, rabbi, just to fill that for a moment, you know, that, that John is receiving this big respect, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan. Notice he doesn't even use the word Jesus. It's just like that man um, reveals a bit of his, his heart, or their hearts, who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about. Look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. The word everyone there is an exaggeration. Not everyone was, but it, it shows his heart and his concern. And do you feel the tension in the text right here? Th- this is the tension moment. It's like, John, people were coming out of Jerusalem to hear him talk. He was the prophet of the day. C- crowds were coming, and God was using John in a powerful way to help people turn back to him and follow him. But right now, everyone is going to this other teacher to Jesus. And it's like, okay, all the might, all the respect, all the, the attention, all the affection, all the admiration is migrating from John to Jesus. And his followers are struggling with it. Can you see the snake in this scene? <laughs> And you see Lucifer where it's the same temptation he hit, hit Adam and Eve with. If, if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. Same temptation that runs through Scripture. The great evil It's pride. It's what made the devil the devil. Can you see where it's tagging John? 
His one calling is to make, prepare the hearts of pe- the people for the Lord, to point to Christ. And now what is his disciple coming and saying, hey, all the attention is leaving us, going to him. What are you going to do about that? What about your name? It's a test, isn't it? Think about your life and my life. And as we pray, Lord, make us humble. Give us the humility of Christ. What do we know is coming, perhaps this week for you, for sure this year, there will be a moment when the attention that was coming towards you, the affection that was coming towards you, the admiration that was coming towards you will migrate to another person. And the question is, what do you do in that moment? (laughs) Do you chase the glory? What do you do in that moment? That's the, the test. Pride screams, our flesh screams, don't let it go. This isn't right. Get the glory. It's about you. It's about your name. What do we do in that moment? And what's so helpful in this text is that John, um, he shows us the way <laughs> to, to win that battle. And so we're just going to get behind him and pace with JB, pace with John. And as we do, we'll, we'll make four laps around four truths, four lessons that we learn as we watch him respond. And the first one there is in verse 27. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. The first lesson that John gives us is it's all a gift. Here he's saying, you know what, guys, it was never about me. I simply received the gift that God gave me, this ministry, this opportunity to, to um, the contribution that I'm making to the kingdom of God. It wasn't about me ever. I received it from him. I'm simply using the gift that was given to him. And what Jesus is receiving was given to him by the Father. It's all a gift. Our life, our ministry, the role we play, it's all a gift. These crowds, this movement, our part in it, all a gift from him. It's interesting when we live in this reality of it's all a gift, that what happens to the the frustration of getting the glory, that fades and gives way to what? Gratitude. It's like, Lord, thank you. Think about John the Baptist's life. And I, I wonder, you know, what led him? This was his first gut reaction. And wouldn't it be great if that was ours as well when we're tempted with pride? But what led him to this moment? And I can't help but think it was as he was growing up, his mom and dad told him how he was born. He gave him his birth story and just reminded him again and again, John, you shouldn't be here. The very fact that you're here is a miracle. We were so old, way beyond childbearing years, but we prayed for a child and God answered, and you can read about it in Luke chapter 1, beautiful moment where God, actually an angel meets with John's dad and says, hey, you're going to have a boy. You're going to name him John, and he's going to bring great joy to you, and he's going to turn people, the hearts of people back to God and all these things. But how often do you think they reminded him of that? I think how often... Be good for us to remind ourselves that, that all that we have is a gift from Him, isn't it? In our spiritual birth, like it's a miracle that God would open our eyes to the beauty of who Christ is and draw us to Himself. It's all a gift. First lesson as we were tempted with pride is just to remember that everything we have, all that we are, is a gift. It's our prayer that uh, this coming year would be a, a year of gratitude and As we pursue humility, God would just continue to stoke gratitude in our hearts. The second life lesson, though, we see, how do we win the fight when pride's tempting us, is in verse 28. 
where he says, you yourselves can testify that I am not the Messiah, but sent ahead of him. So this lesson is, uh, you could sum it up this way, I am not the Messiah. He's reminding his guys. And I think what a great thing to remind ourselves. Now, we would never say, consider ourselves the Messiah, but but there is an, a part of us where we want to be necessary to people and we're tempted to be impressive to people as well, isn't there? I think this lesson is aimed at that part of us, the pride that's like, desires to be needed, loves to be needed. Does anyone just love to be needed? You know? Like, oh, and as I think there's a healthy side to this where God gifts us and calls us to serve one another and help each other out. And we do have good works that he's created us to, to do and to jump into those and do those. But when, when our identity gets caught up in what we do for him, that's when pride starts to work on us, isn't it? And I love the way John is just like, guys, I'm not the Messiah. Now, can you imagine the ego trip? He, to have people coming out and saying, John... Who are you? We know that the religious leaders uh, in Jerusalem sent a delegation out into the uh, wilderness and said, ask him, who is this guy? Is he the, is he the one? And John, or, uh, page back, John chapter 1, you can read about it. They ask him first, are you Elijah, the great prophet? And he's like, nope. Then they say, are you a, a prophet even? And he could have said, well, yeah, kind of. You know, Jesus called me called him a prophet later on, but he's like, nope. And he wouldn't go on. <laughs> John, who are you? Tell, give us and the temptation of saying, well, I am, you know, I have a pretty impressive birth, and I'm out here, you know, eating, living on uh, locusts and honey and wearing camel skin, and I am a pretty unique dude. None of that. He won't even, and finally they're like, tell us something, because we have to go back and tell our leaders what, who you are, and he says, tell them this. Do you remember what he said? He quotes Isaiah 40. I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. John, who are you? I'm a voice. Doesn't talk about his, anything that would lift him up. Just simply a voice making much of the coming of the king. Love that picture of um, his life calling was to really, when a king would come into a, a region, they would send a messenger ahead of that king shouting, the king is coming, the king is coming. Get the roads ready. Fill in the potholes and the ruts because the king is coming. And that was John in this time in history. God gave him this mission of, of going ahead of Jesus, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and preparing the hearts of the people, crying, the king is coming, the king is coming. He tells them, that's who I am. His identity was wrapped up in making much of the king. I love that picture of where John said, I'm a voice. I, I keep thinking about Siri, you know, and like just a voice, right? Serving and, and uh, I'm a voice. And thinking about my own life mission and your life mission, we're simply, at the end of the day, we're a voice pointing to the king, aren't we? And what a high calling at the end of the day, just saying, I, I hope my voice um, goes out and, and just helps somebody um, see the king, follow the king. The third lesson that we see from John as we pace with him is in verse 29, where it says, the it's a wedding picture. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him 
and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, is, is mine and is now complete. So the lesson here is I'm not the groom at the wedding, at this wedding. John's point is that the, uh, the bride belongs to the groom. And he paints this, uh, really a pretty emotional picture of, okay, who's the groom in, in what he's talking about? The groom is the Lord, Jesus. Who's the bride? The bride are the people of God who, who will believe in Christ. Who is John and who are we? And the idea is I'm the best, in our culture it would be the best man, but I'm, I'm not the groom. His point is, the affection, the attention, the admiration of the people of God should never come to me. And if it does, and if I desire their affection and their attention, it's like the best man cutting in with the bride. A horrible evil that when you see it in that way, it just leaves you, uh, I know it leaves me confessing, Father, forgive me, and may my whole goal in life be not to receive attention and affection and admiration from people, but rather, may I be like the best man who just steps back, and my whole goal is to see people fall deeper in love with you. That's it. And what encourages me with John is, it says the word uh, where he says, um, the, the, the friend is full of joy. Our English text doesn't quite get the Greek, but it's joy is repeated twice. It's joy upon joy. It's just like, John's not sad in this moment that people are leaving him and going to Jesus. He's ready to dance. Like the fact that they're not, this is why I was here. <laughs> that people would look at him and uh, he is celebrating this reality. It's the joy of humility. I was thinking about in my own life in moments when God just helps me remember, hey, John, it's not about you. It's about you. It's about me and you helping people get to me. One of the things he's used in this is, as a pastor, when uh, people um, choose not to come to our church but will attend another good church. And this happened, Jesse Tucker, Jesse, are you here today? He may be out on fall break. Twelve years ago, a guy named Ben Newrider, works probation officer, witnessed a suicide and was really struggling with that. And Jesse was his buddy and said, hey, man, we, let's meet with my pastor down at McDonald's. So we started meeting at McDonald's in the morning and got to watch Ben trust Jesus Christ as his Savior. It was the coolest deal as he processed through and then received Christ and watched him start to grow in his faith. And, man, it was just like, Lord, thank you for the chance to be a part of this guy's life. He chooses another church to go grow up in Christ in. And I'm like, I'm excited that he's at another church, but I'm like, Ben, what about Westbridge? Man, all right. What was the Lord whispering to me? Hey, John, it's not about you. It's about me. Well, I continued to be a significant influence in his life, but I began to fade out of being his dis the guy who was kind of discipling him, and God led him to Doug Wicker, who's a member of our church, to be the primary influence in my life. I wish I could tell you I was just all pumped up about that, but honestly, I was like, what about me? I mean, I don't know, Doug's involved in farming, and Ben was doing a farming charity project, and so, um, you know, there was that piece of it, but it was like, 
And the Lord whispered to me again, hey, John, <laughs> it's not about you. It's about people coming to me and rejoice in whoever I use to, uh, to draw people into, into my presence or, in, yeah, to know me better. And then the fourth lesson is the, uh, the, the la- as we take this last lap with John, is the one that, if you've studied John, familiar text, this is the one that goes on the t-shirt, but it's uh, verse 30, he must become greater, I must become less, or literally, he must increase, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. And don't you love this as a, just an anthem of our lives, an anthem of John's life? This was his mantra. And you feel the urgency in, it, in the must. He must. This isn't an option. This isn't, I hope. This is the passion of his life, the direction of his life. And it just challenges me as I think about this. Is this the passion in my life? He must increase. I must decrease. God gives us a visual of, of okay, what's this look like in our everyday life? And we've often called it the duck and point. When praise comes our way, we duck and We point to the Lord. We see John doing this several times in chapter 1. If you page back to chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Love that picture of where John's like, Look, and you just feel all the attention divert away from John to Jesus. But then he says, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This beautiful picture of our Lord and Savior who... He is the lamb sent to be um, an atoning sacrifice for the sin of anyone and everyone who will turn to him in faith. And then it happens again. It says, verse, uh, if you, chapter 1, verse 35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, one of whom we know was Andrew, who would later become a disciple of Jesus, Peter's brother. And it says, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, and when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And so how did John's life end as he was living? He must become greater, I must become less. Do you remember? He, truth to power, was uh, speaking truth. King of the day, Herod, um, doesn't like it, throws him in jail. He's a, having a party, he's a drunk tyrant who will later behead John. But just think about the moment. John, this is his life, all right? He's been faithful to the calling of God, and he's now alone in prison. Alone in prison. So we think about the J-curve that we often talk about. You know, it's, we start, we don't, um, the glory isn't, it's not up and to the right. It starts with suffering, following the sufferings of Christ, and then the glory will come. And you see that in John's life. But, but when you're at the bottom of the J-curve, life is not working out the way you expected it to be. He, he's struggling with doubts, and we, we struggle with that too, don't we? And so he sends a couple people to ask Jesus, hey, are you the one that we're to be looking for? And Jesus says yes, you know, and, and assures him of that through prophecy and through what he's doing and then he goes on to say something to the crowd. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Do you remember what he says? He points to John, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, points to John, and he says, of those born of woman, none greater. And guys, as we, uh, as we follow Christ, this is countercultural. It's the way of humility. It's the way of the kingdom of God. 
But know this, the king sees you. I know there's some here today that you are in the bottom of the J-curve. You're in that suffering point. Ultimately, every one of our lives ends there, doesn't it? When you're laying in the hospital bed and you can't breathe another breath on your own strength. But to know that it's not about us. It's not about your name. It's not about my name. It was about us simply being a voice pointing people to his name and living for the glory of God That's greatness in the kingdom of heaven. What promise did he give us? 1 Peter chapter 5, humble yourselves before the Lord and I will lift you up. And I just love the picture of Jesus lifting up John in this moment. You know, we're still talking about it today. True greatness is not making much of our name, but making much of his. How do we do that when we're feeling the, the temptation of pride, when all the attention, affection, and admiration is migrating from us to someone else and aren't you thankful for the gift that God gives us in John 3 I hope that you know when you're going through your hard time I don't know about you guys but I in my Bible I I write it I write all over it and so in John chapter 3 I went ahead and I just wrote you know this the outline to this message and I know there'll be a day when this is going to happen and I hope I remember this habit but throughout this year I want to I want to pace with JB. So I plan to come back to this and just soak in this text and let God, through his word, put humility in my heart. But you know what I love? And I was thinking, if if John the Baptist were listening to this message right now, I have a feeling he would not be happy with me because I said his name way too many times. At the end of this message, what's John want us looking at and what's God want us looking at? One thing, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know about you guys, but when pride's messing with you and you're frustrated and angry and, ah, these people aren't giving me the respect I deserve, when you lock eyes with Jesus, have you felt that all that just fades, doesn't it? And you you look at him and you hear him say, my child, I love you more than you know. What's it mean? The glory of, you never met, we were never meant to be worshipped, never meant to receive glory. And he calls us back into that sweet calling of just, Lord, I just want you glorified. The joy is there, isn't it? That's the joy. That's the calling that he gives us. And so I hope this will be helpful to you um, throughout your journey and even throughout your life. That uh, when you're struggling with the temptation of pride, pace with JB, pace with JB. Maybe you were listening today and Say, John, I don't have a relationship with Christ, and I just want to invite you into that. And just um, the greatest gift that God has given us is the opportunity to know him through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, his invitation is open for you today. And simply um, place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the, the Lamb of God who is able to take away our sin. The journey of, towards humility can be discouraging at times when we see our pride, and I just want to encourage all of us to confession and just knowing that when God reveals your pride, we just confess and he forgives us, doesn't he? <laughs> and it's almost like the, the better we're doing, the worse we feel <laughs> in, in the pursuit of humility. Isn't that the case? You never feel like you're doing really great um, because you realize, man, I'm, I'm very proud, but God's grace is there with us each step of the way. As we look to the look to the Lamb of God who takes away 
the sin of the world. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your grace that you have poured out to us. And I thank you for just this picture of John and how he's modeling humility for us. And just pray that you would help us to see this life that you've given us as a gift. To not chase the glory, but rather to seek to glorify you. Help us to to live content in our identity that you've given us as your dearly loved children and not try to be the Messiah for other people. Lord, I just ask your forgiveness for the times that I know I have sought glory and admiration and tried to be the groom at the wedding rather than trying to connect the bride with you. And so just pray that this picture would stick and would forgive me and and lead towards humility. And then, Lord, I just thank you for this anthem of John's life that you've given us, that you must become greater, we must become less. And, And as we kneel, as we duck and point to you, that we know the joy of being who you created us to be, to glorify you and worship you. And thank you for my faith family, each person here today. And the chance to make this journey together, Lord, and I pray this year you would give us many humility habits that we might be able to just 1% gains over the course of our lifetime and ultimately live a life that brings glory to you and that we might hear well done at the end of it. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.